Okay, good evening. Um, let's pray first. Father, we are just thrilled to be here again, Lord, to just worship together. Lord, I actually wish I didn't have to speak and we could continue singing. But Lord, thank you that it was just a lovely noise, lovely songs, and we were able to just think and give our, our mind over to you, Lord, before the busyness of this week. So Lord, just um, help me, bless my words, Lord. You take this whatever direction you want to again in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to apologize first this morning. I totally forgot to look at my notes. As you realize, I was over here, my notes were over there, so probably I went on a little bit long. But I'm going to be shorter tonight, because my dad wants away early. So I'm going to be shorter, and I'm going to look at my notes. I'm going to try and look at my notes, but I I love when God just takes you a different direction. And secondly, I'm really glad to be here, because I was expecting David or Jonathan or someone to ring me and say, you messed around too much this morning with the breaking of bread. You're not coming back tonight. So... It was good, thankfully. <laughs> good, well, at least, uh, at least that's one. Um, we talked this morning about perspective. Remember, I, I wanted to just, when our life is struggling and we're all over the place and we are completely inconsistent, God is always consistent. About half of you weren't here this morning, I've just realized. So don't worry, Lewis. I have got a review of this morning for you, <laughs> right? So we're talking about Elijah. Elijah was a nobody from nowhere. I hope you remember that expression. That has stayed with me for, honestly, the first time I heard it was maybe 15 years ago. And I'm third son out of six. My dad sold paint for a living. My mom's a childminder. I'm from Newton Ards. There's no way on earth physically that we should be people that change the earth unless Jesus is behind us, unless God gives us his spirit to make an impact. And you're there tonight as well. Elijah was there. Remember, Elijah had no, there was no family history, no genealogy. He just appeared on the scene. God said, go do a job for me. And he went and did it. And still, the place where he's from, they can't find. Then we talk about the brook ran dry. So some people, maybe this morning, I've been through it. I'm sure you've either been through it or going through it, where God has been providing and life has been great. But all of a sudden, something's come in and you're empty. You feel isolated. You feel lonely. That could take a period of years. I mean, Elijah was at this brook, again, depending on who you read, two and a half or three and a half years, fed by ravens, isolated, only him and God. I mean, no other person around there to talk to as we can read. But the brook eventually ran dry. And don't be thinking that at that moment when your brook is dry, God's going to do something miraculous and you're going to have all that you need. That's actually not the way it seems to work. Because this is what went next. Even at his, his point where he's alone with God, he's being prepared for something that he doesn't know what he's going to do in the future. Elijah, his brook ran dry. God didn't provide in a miraculous way in terms of showering him with blessings as we love. He sent him to a widow. A widow who had only a handful of flour, a little bit of oil. And she basically, I mean, I find those words haunting sometimes. She said, we're going to eat, my son and I, and then die? I mean, that's how bad her situation was. It's not like us. I mean, if we're unemployed in this country, they still give you a house. They still give you food. They still give you benefits. We're never going to reach the point where that widow was, where her and her little son were going to eat and die. I mean, incredible. And that's who God sent, this great man of his, that he was going to use powerfully in Mount Carmel, that he was going to visit on Mount Horeb. He sent them to a widow who had nothing. Incredible. 
Then we found that God works in miraculous ways. So Elijah asked the, the widow for her first bit of food, not after the child and her had eaten. Doesn't seem very gentlemanly, does it? Give me first. That's what he asked for. And she did. She obeyed. And because of her obedience and because God is constantly faithful, God said, your little bin of flour and your well of oil will never run dry. It won't run dry until at least the, the drought is over. And God proved that miraculously. Then we went on. We skipped a while in Elijah's life. And we got to the point where he had seen miracles happen on Mount Carmel. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I promised you we'd talk about the mountain experiences tonight. But then he heard Jezebel was after him. She sent a letter to him, a little note saying, by the end of the day, you're going to be dead, basically. And I said, it's like that, isn't it? I didn't mean disrespect, but it's like that if a woman's after you and she's in scorn. Um, that's how the world feels sometimes. Yes, all the guys are nodding there at that moment. The world was against him. That's what he felt. He felt, I'm isolated. He sat down under the broom tree, and all he asked God was, just let me die. I mean, incredible. He wanted it all to stop then and there. All his usefulness, all the great things he had seen God done or do, he just wanted it all to stop. Because of this, he had forgot those mountaintop experiences. He had forgotten God's blessing in his life, how God's hand was continually upon him. Even in the darkest times, he was never in need. He always had what he wanted or what he needed. So if you want to turn to me, again, I'm going to put it on the screen. Uh, I'll read it to you if, if you don't mind rather than you reading it yourself. Um, now, it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And the sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched out himself on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is in truth. This is the first mountaintop experience. It gives us a little glimpse, actually, of how Elijah felt, I think, during the time when he was on his own and beside the brook Cherith. I mean, it, it's almost like he was, woe is me. And I think we grab, grab that out of here as well. So he asked God, God, what have you done? You brought tragedy to this woman as well. Not only am I living in tragedy, not only am I isol isolated or am I alone, but you've done something to this woman who just has provided for me. She's given me a roof, she's given me food, and I'm part of that family. So I told you, I look at my notes and, and keep. So the first thing I want you to think about is blame. What happens when something goes wrong in our life? We blame, don't we? And normally we don't blame ourselves. We blame circumstances. We blame the government. We blame our parents. We blame our wife. They never blame the husband. Sure they don't. Never. We blame everybody. And at times, if we're totally honest, we do blame God. We ask God, why have you brought this into my life? 
So I'm thinking about this woman. All she's done is be obedient. She's just allowed this man of God, a stranger to her in because he asked her for some food. She fed him before feeding her own son and herself. And now she's blaming. How quickly we forget God's experience in our lives. How quickly we forget all his provisions. When something strikes us or an illness comes into the family or something at work happens, we just fall to pieces. I don't know if that's your experience. Too often it's my experience. But initially she obeyed and yet this is what happened to her. When things go wrong, she started to blame God. Then she blamed Elijah. God brought it to us, but it's all because you're here. Why me, God? She started out so well. She was obedient, and all of a sudden, why me, God? Maybe you're experiencing that tonight. Maybe the pressures of life are heavy on you. I mean, bringing up kids in this day and age, as we talked about this morning, is tough. Everything seems to be going more expensive. They need more and more things. And maybe the pressures the world have got upon you. Or maybe you're not raising your head above the parapet. Maybe people in your workplace or in your family circle, wherever it may be, may not really understand what being a Christian means, and you're not willing to tell them. Maybe you're just, I'll be a quiet Christian, I'll just do everything right, and I'll try and live with integrity. That's really important. But at some point, you have to stand up for Jesus and say verbally, I love Jesus, here's why. You need him too. Ours is not just a personal message. Ours is a message that must be shared because we know the final destination of those people who don't accept Jesus. So we've got, we can't just live our lives as a Christian and hope that that will make a difference. That's true to a point, but there must be a point where we have a passion for the lost. My favorite verse in, in the Bible is, um, I know maybe we shouldn't have a favorite verse, but I've got lots of them, but I use it probably every context. But my favorite verse is uh, Psalm 119, verse 133, right? You really got to go through that long psalm to get to it. But it says, streams of tears flow from my eyes for your laws are not obeyed. And basically in the little uh, stanza, the psalmist is saying, I'm weeping because these people are dying in their sins. I wonder, have we ever been like that? I mean, people that you love who still don't know Jesus as their best friend, their Lord, their Savior, who they're going to live with for eternity. I wonder, have you ever wept over them? Cried over them? I watched my mom for years do it over my brothers, just crying her eyes out, knowing that she had that much passion that they meet Jesus. So I wonder, maybe you have a, a fear of being different. You don't want to be that Christian. You know, the rest of us go do this at the weekend and you don't want to stand out. Maybe you were going strong in your faith. You were reading your Bible. You were focused. You were really, you were attending prayer meetings, whatever other things you could get to. And you were on course with God. Your heart was warm. You could feel a move in your day. And then one pressure slipped in, another one. And suddenly you're so far from God that you haven't picked your Bible for weeks, months, years. It's so easy to fall into that trap as a Christian. The consequences of her letting Elijah into her life was the death of her son. Incredible. Her question actually goes a little bit further for me, and I think it's where we need to go to tonight. She actually asks, oh, sorry. Oh, man of God, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? There is 
a massive blocking about our Christian faith. Unconfessing. And I don't know about you here tonight, but if you have unconfessed sin in your life, if there's people that you do not get on with and you've got an issue with them, that needs confessed because there are consequences to that sin. Not just to us, but those around us. So if you're sitting here tonight and you haven't went to your knees and confessed or went to someone and said, I apologize, you need to go and do that because there are consequences to that. But she owned her sin. I love how it all changed around in the question. Initially, God, you're at fault. No, Elijah, you're at fault because you came in the house. But actually, it's my sin. And I think that happens with anybody I've ever talked to. You, you talk to them, and initially, they, it's about God, and then it becomes about you. And then the conversation changes to them. Their lack of unfulfilled dreams. Or doors not opening for them that they wanted open. Or things that happen to them in life, and, and they just blame themselves. That's a great way to start ministering. But if you carry unconfessed sin, I want to tell you right now, your effectiveness for God is going to be diminished. You are not going to be able to be 100% obedient, not sold out for him, not raising your head above the parapet, not carrying that cross and bearing that cross. You are going to be weak. That's not what we want. We want to be strong in Christ. Notice second that uh, something I love, I, I never really thought about it until I was thinking about this passage was, you know what Christians do when someone comes to them with a problem? We listen. We show empathy. Sometimes we sympathize with them. We give them a hug and we send them on their way. Maybe we say, I'll pray for you in that. But notice what Elijah does. Elijah actually becomes proactive in his faith. I mean, not just does he say, listen, I'm really sorry about the situation. I'll go upstairs and pray about it. He doesn't. He says, give me the child. He then took the child. He carried the child up to the bed on his own bed. So it slept on it, a dead body on his own bed. He put the child on his bed. He lay, stretched out his arm on the child, and he prayed. So he got involved. So if there are people around you this evening, people you know in your life that are struggling with issues, I think the calling's clear. Don't just give them a sympathetic ear. Don't just show empathy. Let's get involved. Because that might be the thing that changes that person's heart, brings them towards Jesus. And I think even though this is the Old Testament, this gives us a clear example of getting involved, being proactive in our faith. I don't want to be reactive. Love for me is proactive. It doesn't wait. It takes a step forward. It's not just, I want to show empathy and how can I help? It's, I want to get stuck in there. You need help. What can I do? And then thirdly, look at the effects. There was an impact. What happened? The child was resurrected. You know what? You can't sit behind this evening. You cannot say, I can't go and talk to a group of people. I'm not a good speaker. You cannot say, I can't go and do this. I'm not educated enough. I can't go there. I don't like planes. I can't do this. I haven't enough money to do it. Right now, you have zero excuse before God to be effective for him because I'm not sure. Well, I can pretty much be guaranteed, actually. Elijah had no experience in resurrecting people. There, there wasn't a resurrection recorded in the Bible before this one. So who told him what to do? Nobody. He just did it. 
He just got up and said, I love this family. God, I want you to do something in this situation to bring impact for you and for these people. And he just did it. So maybe, I mean, a long time. I, I don't like speaking to groups. I really don't. But maybe you're the same. Or maybe you've got other things that, you know, God's pushing in that way. But uh, I don't like kids. I mean, I, I love my kids. I'm not too keen on too many others. But sometimes God makes me work with football teams and there's kids all over the place and all sorts of things. But don't hide behind an excuse. Don't hide behind lack of experience, lack of education, age, too old, too young. Don't hide behind any of that. We can be effective. We can make an impact. So that's the first mountaintop experience. Imagine raising a child from the dead. Can you imagine that? You doing that personally in God's power. Surely the rest of your life will be an upward gradient and you'll be going, oh my goodness, God used me to raise a child from the dead. I'm going to go forward for him. But what do we know about Elijah? He's inconsistent. And a few um, hours, days, weeks later, we don't know quite the time scale, he's sitting under a broom tree asking God to kill him. So that's the first mountaintop experience. I'll read this one. This one's really long. Just forgive me. We're doing okay in time, so I'll read it. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? Oh, I hate that phrase, do you not? How often will you have one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the world? How often will you look at that thing on the internet and yet turn up for church? How often will you profess to someone, yes, I'm a believer, but do that thing you shouldn't be doing and you know you shouldn't be doing it? So Elijah asked him that. How, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Frightening. This is God's chosen people that have seen in their history, and the, they've not been present, but they know their history well, they have had incredible mountaintop experiences, fleeing Egypt, crossing the sea, God providing them, defeating all the nations that were already in their land. God did so much for this nation of people, and yet they've forgotten, just like we forget, just like Elijah forgot. We forget God's mountaintop experiences. So no one answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Woe is me. Remember, he's lost perspective here. I'm the only one. We're going to find out, and we know the answer. He's not. There's loads more that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. But he thinks right now, I'm the only one. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let us give up two bulls. Let us choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it's well spoken. So they have a voice. They spoke when they see a challenge because they're, they're wavering here. Do we go with Baal, who you know, gives us prosperity and helps the, the plants grow, all those Canaanite gods? Well, they think. Or do we go with God? Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first. For you are many, and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called in the name of Baal. From morning till evening, calling, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made, 
And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked him and said, Cry loud, for he is a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as, there was, as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down by the brook Kishon and executed them there. Incredible. That is the mountaintop experience. I mean, imagine if we were there and we saw all that happen in front of us, the Baal prophets cutting themselves and singing and dancing and the whole place going mad. And yet Elijah pours water, more water over his burnt offering, more water over the bull, more water over it all. And God sends the fire from heaven. So three quick thoughts I want to I wanna give you with this. The first one is notice that Elijah challenged the people's hearts. He wanted to know, which camp are you in? Are you in God's camp? Are you off this world? And there wasn't a sitting on the middle fence. And that's something I think as Christians we're starting to see more and more and more. It's too easy to dilute our faith, isn't it? It's too easy to go with the crowd, too easy to do things and say, listen, I've got a cutoff line. When, when, when the guys are out drinking, I know one or two stops me and then that never works for a Christian or a Christian dating a girl that's not a Christian. I mean, so easy that our young people, that we fall into things that just seem right at the time but are never quite right and will never do us any benefit in the long term. Elijah wasn't deterred. I, I had this. There was no response. I had this about two weeks ago. It broke my heart. A good friend of mine, is, uh, he's coaches in the IFA, and he's just gone to the States to work and live. He was back over, and I'd been helping him do his, um, one of his master's projects and just working through it with him. He sat, turned around in the coffee shop and said to me, why do you help me? And I said, I help you because I love you. He said, I, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. And then I was able to talk about Jesus to him talk about how I wanted him to meet Jesus. Do you know what he said to me? Hardest thing to hear. He said, that's okay for you. I don't believe a, a, an ounce of what you've just said. So I just got to pray for him. 
I just got to love him and keep praying for him. So I can understand when Elijah heard that from all those people, it's nothing. Are you with me? Are you against me? Are you with God? Are you against God? Nothing. Secondly, there was a real level of intimacy. After he witnessed all that cutting and burning and yahooing and all that sort of stuff, when Elijah stands up, the first thing he says is, come near to me. I love that. I, I love little expressions. I think, remember I said it's about seven years ago since I spoke here. I think seven years ago, I have a great memory. I talked about the young, rich young ruler running to Jesus. I mean, those little things thrill me. Running to Jesus, just that word means how excited he was to get to Jesus' feet. And yet we know how that story ends out. But right here, come near to me. God is the source of love. The first thing Elijah does is rebuild the altar. Or, or the altar. Just showing people, this is not about me. This is about God. The altar is a memory of what God has done in the past. It's a memory of those mountaintop experiences. He tried to get everyone's perspective right, didn't he? I talked about that this morning. Our perspective is so easily lost. We go strong with God and something cut in and then we become all about our inconsistency and we start to look within and we beat ourselves up. I'm so bad a Christian. I'm so bad at this. I don't read. I don't do this. And we forget that all the power is at hand. And then very simply, demonstration of the power. You know how this happened? One simple prayer. I often forget. I don't know about you, but prayer is powerful, isn't it? I mean, it changes lives. It changes situations. And all he did, Elijah, he didn't do anything else. He actually made it harder for himself to demonstrate more about the power of God by pouring the water over. But he just gave one short 15-second prayer. God, hear me. Show these people who you are, and their hearts will be brought back to you. And God answered. Incredible. Sometimes God answers that quickly, doesn't he? Sometimes it takes forever and ever and ever, and you feel you're never going to get an answer, and the answer might be in that. But think about that. In James, it tells us the prayer for a righteous man is both powerful and effective. That's such a true word, isn't it? When we pray, things happen. And this is evidence of it. Fire came from heaven. Now, if that's the same God, which he says he is, yesterday, today, forever, wouldn't that be a great one? I prayed and fire came from heaven tonight. Sadly, I don't believe it. Do you? That's a tough question. But we should. God can do all things. God will do all things when he decides to do all things. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Okay, last one. Really quickly, I know time's starting to really tick. So, this is just after. So imagine, let's go through Elijah's life again. Appeared on the scene, nobody from nowhere, in front of Ahab, the most wicked king with a horrible wife, Jezebel. So he said to him, there's going to be no rain. God commands it. Then he's taken away. God provides for him by the river with the ravens flying in his bread and his meat every morning and every evening. Fantastic, right? I love that because I can't cook at all. That would be excellent, that little bit of experience. Then... The brook runs dry. He's sent to a widow, a widow who's about to die with her son. They feed him. They get 
miraculously provided for by God. Then the son dies. Then the son is resurrected through Elijah by God's power. Then he goes back to Ahab and he says, you know what, the drought's over. Then they're all summoned to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, all of this happens and there's a lot of people killed. I mean, it's only very quickly at the end, isn't it? And they're murdered. I mean, a lot of men are killed there that day. And then he's surely emboldened. Surely he is walking on air. He is feeling, you know what, I am untouchable. Me and God, we can conquer the world. And he is on fire. But what do we do? We find Jezebel sends him that note. He runs down the hill. He sits under a broom tree and he asks, you know what, just end it for me. I want to die. And then this happens. I mean, it's incredible how God does this. So reading on, then he said, this is God. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, then he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. That's God's answer. We'll get to that in a second. So God allows him his presence. I mean, I'm blown away by that. So his life has went peak to mount to trough, to peak to trough, and now he's about to endure the very presence of God. Isn't that incredible? That is what we need, isn't it? We need to spend time in God's Word. We call it a quiet time, which just, I think, diminishes the whole thing because really what most of us do, it's a 10-minute thing in the morning, and we just open the Bible, we do a quick daily reading, we finish it, we tick it in our, in our mental ma map for the day. Yes, done my quiet time, I'm on fire for God. There's lack of intimacy there, isn't there? And in this... There is so much intimacy. I, I'm amazed that God does that. There's the wind, there's the earthquake, there's the fire. Then there's the tiny little voice, still small voice. And then God does something incredible. He doesn't say or chastise Elijah. The first thing he does is, Elijah, what are you doing here? Tell me. God already knows his complaint. He said it. God already knows his mind. God knows all things. He's om omnipotent, ompre omnipresent, whatever the word is. I've forgotten just for a second. But with intimacy, he speaks to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? He already knows the answer, but he just wants to give Elijah a chance to talk it through with him. I love that about God, do you not? That sometimes you can just sit there and ramble in your head and not make sense, and God knows exactly what the issue is. He can pinpoint it with his Holy Spirit. And you, you know you're, you're, you're not talking sense. You're just talking and, God, I wish this would happen and, and this is going against me and this. And God understands it all. And his intimacy is incredible. I wonder, have you felt that in your experience? I mean, I told you this morning about one of those times where I felt God just poured himself into me and it came out my mouth. I think I've had seven of those in my experience all abroad. I wonder if you had had an experience like that where you have felt completely in the center of God's will, where you have felt, I am actually where I'm meant to be at that moment for God. I wonder, have you heard his voice? 
maybe through the scriptures, maybe through a preacher, maybe through a song, whatever it is, but you've audibly heard God say, you know what, I've something I need to tell you. I think if you haven't, we need to get to a greater degree of intimacy. God wants to speak to us. He's speaking to us all the time. And he wants us to have that level of intimacy where we can understand what he's saying and we can commune with him. So that's the first thing. Second thing, oh, sorry, intimacy. Second thing, God loves our vulnerability. I, I told you something this morning about me. And you know what? I just love being open. I really do. I don't want to hold things back. I don't think there's any value in it, is there? I know there are people in this room. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to say something to each other. I love you. I'm sorry. Can I help you? Whatever it is, we've got to take that first step. Don't wait for the other person to take the first step. You take the first step. God loves our vulnerability. He actually just stood before God and said, you know what? I've been really zealous for you. I've tried hard, God. I'm the only one left. There's no one else. And that's God's answer to him. I'm going to give you Alicia. I've got a bigger plan for you. I've still got 7,000 people, you know, that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I'm still doing my thing. I've still got a kingdom to build here on earth. I've still got an ultimate plan of God, of redemption that will end up on the cross, that will one day end up in heaven. I know what I'm doing. So intimacy, and finally, he changes Elijah's perspective just making Elijah taking his gaze off his own situation, his own context, his isolation, his loneliness, his fear of Jezebel, his wanting to die, his lack of newspaper reports about how wonderful he is maybe. I don't know what it is. But he's just wanting to take that off and show him I am in control. And I think the same message is for you. This is all for me, by the way. I don't really think, I think it's just a conversation between me and God and you're listening to it tonight. This is for me to hear. God needs to change my perspective. He needs to show me Brexit's coming. I live by faith. Don't worry. And I think we need to hear that too, don't we? So he changes his perspective. So I know it's been a whistle-stop tour of Elijah's life, right? We have done a lot in one day. It's, it feels like that. I've talked a lot probably in one day. But we've been right from the start. And you know what happens? The most incredible thing what happens to Elijah in the end? The chariots of fire. He's taken up into heaven without dying. I mean, phew. explain that one. That's just incredible. That's how much God loved him and appreciated his service that he had a special way of taking him up into heaven. For the rest of us, we probably will die at some stage unless the Lord comes back. But Elijah was taken up by chariots of fire into heaven before the eyes of Elisha, who then saw it all and was empowered. But from being a nobody from nowhere, he's sitting up beside our Savior. Highs, lows, and it has been a story of Elijah's inconsistency. He has felt low. He has wanted to die. He has let God down in his mind. He has been lonely. He has not had the provision that he thinks he deserves. He has not had the credit, maybe, that he thinks he deserves doesn't have all these people around him to go to church with and yet to me it's more of that isn't it a story of God's constancy God is consistent he always provides he always loves he always cares he always has a plan for me he always forgives when I come and confess he always empowers me when I want to do something in his name 
God is incredible. And I think this tells us about it. So from meeting Ahab to being fed by the ravens, to meeting a widow, to resurrecting her son, to Mount Carmel and murdering hundreds of prophets of Baal, to sitting under a tree afraid of a wicked woman, to standing in God's presence and to going up into heaven on a chariot of fire. That is God's consistency. That's a constant God. That's the God we serve. So see this week, I know you're going to face difficulties. You, you know what to pray for for me. Next two days are in Bambridge. We'll have thousands of kids in the schools and then the days after that will be in Romania. Pray for me. Pray for Tanya. Pray for the boys, please. But I know you might have a difficult week ahead of you. I know there might be financial worries. There might be health scares. There might be falling outs with people. There might be problems in work. If you have a job, that is. There might be all sorts of things that happen this week. But surely, if we've learned anything today, we have a God who knows all about it, who cares all about it, and has already provided the way out. We just need to spend time with him. Please, spend time with him this week. Make it your absolute priority to become intimate with your Savior again this week. I don't know what your readings are like, what your time is like, if Jesus is on your lip during the day, if you cry for people who aren't yet believers, but we want you to. I'd love you to. I'd love to. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. Lord, I am sorry that I am so weak. I'm sorry that often I choose to sin over being obedient. I'm sorry that sometimes I go through the day, I'd rather stick the TV on than read your word. I'm sorry I'd rather be quiet sometimes than speak up and name your name on my lips. I'm sorry that sometimes I just want to go with the flow and not not stand out as different. I'm sorry that I've let you down so many times. I'm sorry that sometimes I carry baggage against myself, against other people. I'm sorry that sometimes I blame you, God, for what's going on in my life. I'm sorry that I can't see from the right perspective and look at the weaknesses within me rather than the strength within you. Lord, help me be better. Help me fall in love with you more. Help me become more intimate with you Help your word become alive in my heart and in my mind that I may be active and proactive in loving people and loving them and verbalizing my faith that your spirit may bring them into the kingdom. Lord, help me this week. Help us all this week, no matter what trials and tribulations we go through, that we will trust your reliability, your consistency, your faithfulness. You're an incredible God, Lord. We struggle to deserve your love, but yet we're so thankful for it. Lord, bless us as we part. In Jesus' name, amen.